0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Cup of Joe podcast. It is Tuesday, July the 13th, and um, gosh, it seems like a mere few hours since I did my last podcast. Again, that was late last night, if you've not listened to it or have listened to one today already and wonder why I have two up today, it's because I put one up so late last night, and here is for today on Tuesday. Uh, we are going to continue through Matthew chapter 11, however, we skipped a, a great portion. You remember yesterday we ended with Matthew 11 verse 1, and now we're going to skip all the way to Matthew 11 verse 20. Should have checked to look uh, and see what we were skipping over, but didn't do that. That'll be a homework assignment for y'all. But uh, let's look at Matthew 11 verses 20 to 24, short gospel for us today. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus began to reproach the towns where most of his mighty deeds had been done, since they had not repented. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty deeds done in your midst had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would long ago have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And as for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will go down to the netherworld. For if the mighty deeds done in your midst had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment Than for you. My friends, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So what we're seeing, okay, so Jesus is using two cities that had both um, given way to time. Let's just say it that way. Sodom, which had been by the Dead Sea, remember, if we go back to Genesis and the story of Lot and Lot's wife, uh, and, uh, and the destruction of Sodom. Uh, we remember that, and the death of a city. Uh, and then Chorazin, which we really don't know, but that was more on the shores of Lake Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And um, and so that, uh, also, the people there at, uh, you know, what is he talking about? Um, you know, uh, these other cities, Tyre and Sidon, uh, that, that uh, I'm kind of confusing myself. What are you, Chorazin? What are you, Bethsaida? They, they were active cities in the time, and Tyre and Sidon would have been the, uh, the older cities. But again, they, they know of those cities in, in those places up there. So it's a, it's a real-life um, example that Jesus is using about, hey, my friends, death comes to us all, and, and we don't have uh, an unlimited amount of time in which to make this decision. The time is now. It's it's like earlier in uh, in Matthew's gospel, I believe, when Jesus uses in the the example, uh, even now the axe and it may have been John the Baptist, even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree, right? Even though it's a comparing to test of life. So what do you to do? Slit amount of time. Really take the moment reading. And then, and Jesus should hang here, right? Because even at the end of this gospel you know, it's, uh, he's, he's saying, listen, it's going to be more tolerable for other people. And, and and ends it on that note, like, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We know how it ended for Sodom. We know how it ended for those other cities. How's it going to end for you? So I want to do two things in today's uh, podcast. I want to, with my first thing, I want to jump back to yesterday, to gospel. And then I want to jump back to today's gospel. I in both I asked this question on the first kiss, Mr. gospel. And I, I go so I say exactly method. But in today's gospel, he says this Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever whoever's not take up their eyes awesome, and fall after me is not worthy of me. Remember that we took them. Oh we have post things, And that's the, as the first meant, to the Lord our told us, That first thing. But, but we have to seek first the kingdom of God. We have to put God above others. That's what fills us with life and love. And then, only then, can we truly love our mother, our father, our son, our daughter, whoever it is, right? And I know you and I believe that, but after I got off the gospel or, or the, the podcast last night, I thought, you know, I, did, I don't know that I helped um, anyone listening as to how, how do we love God more we all know that, but how do we go about doing that? I suspect the, the answer to that is legion. It is as unique as you or I. Um, but let me say one way that I think is, is real, uh, and, and, it's, and I'm going to ask it in the negative. What keeps us from loving God? What keeps us from putting God first? And my answer to that, in in, it's not the only answer, but it's one of the largest, and I believe that sincerely, is ourselves and what motivates us. What keeps us from loving God? All this stuff going on within us that we don't take time to understand or look at. All those hidden agendas or those shadow sides of us uh, that... That unconscious, if I can use that word, that is going on within us, that makes our decisions daily, out of which we live and move and have our being. And to the extent that we don't know ourselves well, and we um, we are, are too afraid to look within and really see what motivates our actions, what motivates and inspires us, what our true agendas are. To the extent, my friends, that we don't do that, uh, I think that we allow ourselves to be controlled by those things and we make those decisions unconsciously. And if we have to consciously say yes to God, we need to get rid of or at least name these things, naming them so they don't have control over us. And one of the ways I'm doing this now, and this is why it, it came to me last night, is I'm using a tool called the Enneagram. Now, brothers and sisters, there, there are, I'll say, dozens and dozens, I'm sure hundreds and hundreds of tools with which we can get to know ourselves better and understand ourselves. I mean, again, the dictum from Socrates himself know thyself, right? That's the, that's the, 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 um, Oh, gosh, I'm trying to to think it's the Oracle of Delphi. That's what I was searching for, right? Know thyself. The more we can know who we are, the more that we don't have to be controlled by those things within us. So that is a holy and good thing because what it does is it frees us. And the more we are free from these unconscious motives, the more we are free to truly love First and foremost, to God, and out of that love, love others. So, what is the enneagram? Again, the tool that I use. Again, you feel free to to discard this information if it's not helpful. But the enneagram uh, is it's a nine-sided. Um, if if one would see the the um, figure, it's a nine-sided figure uh, because it basically says we all have a basic personality that comes from one of these nine. Okay. And, uh, and, and the wonderful thing about it, some people may look at it and say, oh, okay, it's kind of like a horoscope, uh, because it's going to say, you know, if you're this number, so I'm a nine, for instance, nines live life and look at life this way, A, B, C, and D, and E. And sometimes we can think tools are written so generally that we find ourselves within them. And, and to a degree, I'm sure that is true with many tools, but the Enneagram isn't that way. Uh, what it does, if you're looking at it again, a nine sided object, and it's got, uh, some lines that go from some, uh, numbers to another, and you can look at it. Some people look at it and say, ah, oh, that's us it looks kind of pagan or it looks, you know, like a pentagram and it must be satanic or anything. No, this was developed as best we understand by the desert mothers and fathers. Those were Christians, the earliest Christians that went out of the cities to, to establish monasteries in the deserts. And, um, And what it does that I find helpful, and and the reason I'm bringing it to you for this gospel of yesterday, is the Enneagram speaks not only of what motivates us and how we make our decisions, but it names our shadow side. It names our blind spots. And it tells us, okay, uh, your shadow is, you know, X. And because of that, you avoid this, this, and this. Uh, and you and you uh, may act in these ways out of that shadow. And the more, brothers and sisters, I can name and I can say, yep, that is true of who I am. And I can embrace that about me, the less it can have control over me. And the more I can see it coming when I want to make decisions out of that space. So it brings up that shadow. It casts light on it. It brings up that unconscious to the conscience, to the conscious for me. Uh, And and for the thousands upon millions that have used this tool, uh, it brings that into our conscious so we are aware of it. And when we want to act and make decisions out of that, um, we have the ability to say, no, I'm going to choose not in my growth, not to make it out of this place of fear or this place of of comfort or this place of, uh, you know, what you will do for me. I can't do that. I need to make it out of freedom for the other or freedom for this situation or freedom from what I'm, I'm inviting as best I can understand what God is inviting me to. And so again, the, the reason I bring up this tool, whatever tool you use, make sure it doesn't just talk about your positive aspects of your personality, but does it invite you into understanding those negative aspects as well, those shadow sides. those sides that we choose to, to stuff down and not look at, if it can bring those to light, it can free us. And so, brothers and sisters, I use that to answer that question. What keeps us from loving God? I think it's all that stuff inside of us that we don't acknowledge. And if we can use a tool to help us understand ourselves better so we can see where those minefields are and those pitfalls, then we can avoid them as we grow and further expand ourselves as humans, we can avoid those so we are more free to choose the one, capital O, the one who is life and the one who gives life and fills us with life and therefore uh, through us that life can be given to others. So I really think that that answers that question. Now today, you know, what keeps us from repenting I, I, I just say a few things to this um, so we don't go too long. But okay, Jesus is given the dickens, right, to Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum and saying, listen, if Tyre and Sidon or, or Sodom would have seen the things you see, they would have repented. They would have been in sackcloth and ashes. They would have, have uh, seen the error of their ways. They would have seen what was in their midst and, and, and become someone new right? Because that's what repenting means. It doesn't just mean, say you're sorry now. Repenting says we have to think differently. We have to turn around. So imagine we're walking this way. We have to turn around 180 degrees and think differently and walk in a new direction, but that's hard to do. That's hard to do. So what what keeps us, brothers and sisters, from seeing God and turning around and saying, I need to think differently. And, and out of that thinking differently and seeing differently, I need to act and live differently. What keeps us from that? First of all, I think you and I, all of us, need to pray for the eyesight to see. You know, I, I mean, Jesus talks about constantly, you know, for them who have eyes to, to see and ears to hear, let them see and hear. Um, and, and may we pray for both those things that we can see and hear, because you know what? The works of God, the blessings of God, the, the gifts of God, they're, they're all around us, right? They're all around us. But, but even more, what keeps us from turning around when we encounter God, when we know the truth, but yet we continue on? And I'll only use a few. Now, again, there's far more than this. I've been listening to another podcast by a gentleman named Brian McLaren, out of the Center for Action and Contemplation down in New Mexico. Uh, I've been a follower of Brian for a while. I, I, I have read a number of his books. He's, uh, he uh, teaches alongside Father Richard Rohr, whom I'm a big fan of. But anyway, Brian talks about a lot of biases that keep us from encountering the world differently and changing the way we live. And I'm just going to bring three of those. He names 12, and I'm only going to name three because they're real brothers and sisters, and see if you find yourself in these. And again, not to shame you, but the more we can name them, the more we can say, okay, I've given my power to these other people or these other things, and how do I take that back? In order to give it to God, in order to repent, in order to think new. And the first of those is called the confirmation bias. And the way Brian defines it, it's like this. The human brain welcomes information that confirms what it already thinks and resists information that disturbs or contradicts what it already thinks. So, we have the innate sense that if someone agrees, we're going to talk to people we agree with. We're going to visit websites of, of people we agree with. We're going to listen to podcasts of people we already agree with. We're going to watch news broadcasts of people we agree with, all those things. And that's all called a confirmation bias that we only are around people that we agree with us and we are going to resist anything that disturbs or contradicts it. In other words, we get comfortable and we don't get challenged. And the word of God is a two-edged sword, right? Jesus said yesterday, I didn't come for peace, but for a sword. Why? Because he wants us to break open into this new way of thinking. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not a word of comfort. Make no bones about that. Make no mistake. The gospel comes in and it slaps us across the face and says, we need to think differently. And and I don't know what that group of of yours is or that group of mine is, but we need to know, are we simply doing group think in, in whatever and wherever we are? And how do we break out of that? Which leads me to my second bias, contact bias. If you lack contact with someone, you won't see what they see. Brothers and sisters, I'll just bring up one area. There's, There's dozens I could bring up, and you and I both know that. But if I lack contact with people who are African American, who are black descent, how on earth can I enter into the racial conversation when I lack contact with them? Therefore, I don't understand the world as they see it. The more I can have contact with them, the more I can open myself, the more I read authors, uh, a black authors or James Patterson or whoever, the more I can open myself to them or listen to them or encounter them, the more I can understand their world and the more it helps pull me out of my little one. doesn't mean I'm wrong and they're right. It means, hey, I need to understand what they're seeing too so I can broaden who I am, which again leads to this third bias, community bias. It's very hard to see something your group doesn't want you to see. Hey, I am, name the group, you know, a Catholic. I am a, a Republican. I am uh, an American. I am uh, a, a veteran. I am uh, a Wisconsinite. Nothing wrong with any of those things, any of those things. But brothers and sisters, if I give myself over to my community and I simply see things as they do, I give them my power, right? Right. And therefore, what does all this have to do with it? Because all this says, well, then I can't repent. I can't think differently because I've given my power to them. And if the uh, Republican Party doesn't does it thinks this way, then I have to think that way. Or, or if uh, if you know whatever you know, what I use, uh, you know, an American thinks this way, or if a Catholic thinks this way, then I have to think this way. How do I say, Lord? I, you know what? I am a part of those things, and I, and I enjoy being a part of those, and they help make up who I am. But who I am at base is you. I am your child. I am your brother or sister. Therefore, you know I want my will. I want my eyes to be yours. And first and foremost, that needs to be the lens through which we see the world. Then we can encounter these other groups, and we can bring the Word of God within that. But if we simply have to see as this community sees, we, there's no way we can repent. And Jesus is inviting us to repent, brothers and sisters. So he's inviting us to name what, what biases do we carry with us, the communities or those people around us that we just want to think like us or, or contact bias. And again, there's, there's a whole bunch more. But those are the things, those are some of the things that can keep us from giving our true freedom and opening ourselves to the wider world, the larger world outside of our comfortable world. Because the more we can do that, the more we can say, I am open to seeing the world differently, particularly through the eyes of Jesus, because that needs to be the one. None of these other things, because they're all less. It's got to be Jesus. How do we open ourselves so that we can truly repent and turn around? I've talked long enough today. Thanks for putting up with that. But let's pray. Uh, I think both those things are important, though, for us. What keeps us from loving God fully in ourselves? And what keeps us from repenting? Two good questions to mull on today. Let's pray. And so we begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The uh, second luminous mystery, the baptism of Jesus. No, excuse me, not the baptism. We had that yesterday. The wedding feast at Cana. The wedding feast at Cana. Our Father who art in heaven. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My friends, have a wonderful Tuesday. Blessings to you. And uh, I look forward to us being back together earlier, most likely, tomorrow on Wednesday, and breaking open God's Word. God's peace to you.